Pastor Xavier Reese with simple truths on fulfilling your calling. There are many members in one body, but not all have the same function. You may be a part of the body that is never seen. Some of your feet, some of your ears, some of your nose, but some of your pituitary gland. Anybody come up and say, those are some good looking pituitary gland. You don't see them. Is that okay with you if, if you're never noticed? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. You may be familiar with the term, unsung hero. Well, though that may not be popular in today's narcissistic society plagued with Twitter updates and Facebook profiles, but according to Pastor Xavier, it's a status of high calling in the church. Let's join him in his continued Simple Truth study series in the Book of Romans for more guidance on how to live a life that gives God all the glory. Let's listen. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 8, and the message is entitled, A Believer's Call to Serve. Paul presents his plea for the believer to live out his Christianity in view of all that God has done is as follows. First, the believer is to serve by dedicating his life to God. Verse 1 and 2. Dedicating his life to God. Secondly, the believer is to serve by walking in humility before God. Verse 3 through 5. And then thirdly, the believer is to serve according to the gifts of God. Verse 6 through 8. Look at verse 1. The request is to serve here. And Paul the Apostle requests this. That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The error is active indicates a daily basis. The word was used by Paul of the believers to present and yield their physical members as we read in Romans 6, 13 and 19. To present them before we presented our body and our members to do all kinds of things and to be involved in different things. Now we present our entire body so that we're, it's an instrument of God. A whole different thing. Notice the request of Paul has a specific standard for presenting this living sacrifice. Holy, except unto God, which is your reasonable service. It must be holy, which means to be set apart unto God, confirming the living sacrifice. That's why we're alive. Because God has forgiven us of sin. It must be acceptable, which means fully agreeable, satisfactory, or well-pleasing. The person who is justified is acceptable before God. Not because of who they are or what they've done, but because they've trusted the grace and the provisions of the Son by the Father. Notice the request of Paul is for fitting service. The believer is to serve by dedicating his life to God. No exception. Notice secondly, 3 through 5. The believer is to serve by walking in humility before God. This deals with our attitude. Verse 3. The request of the Apostle Paul is due to the potential of human pride. The Apostle reminds the Romans that he, as well as they, have been given sufficiency to serve God through grace. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, the authority is apostolic. For I say to you, the Apostle of the Gentiles. He opened up chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. The enabling is from heaven. Notice that through the grace given to me. 
In chapter 11, verse 13, he said, For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Paul didn't call himself Galatians chapter 1. Chapter 2 tells us that. Jesus called him. Gave him the gospel. Notice the proclamation is for every believer, everyone who is among you. There's no exception. He's talking to Rome. Those that are there, Jew, Gentile, but it's applicable to everyone, every believer. Now notice the apostle warned the believer of pride that is ever present. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. The phrase more highly is a compound word. The first one is upper, which means above, beyond, or to exceed. And the second one, phreneo, means to have self-understanding or opinion. The intellectual assessment. The phrase then refers to the mistaken or overestimation of one's value through conceit. And then inflated, inflated perspective of oneself. We get big heads. This is the natural thing. We always think we're better or, or smarter or more able than others if we don't walk with Christ. This is still a potential in Christians. The prideful attitude of the worldly mind still being conformed to the fallen world system rather than being transformed by the renewing of our mind. You're born again, but you're still living in the world. You still have that worldly mindset. And you add to your own hurt. I see this often. Take note, ought to think. The word ought means necessary, under obligation. In other words, it is no longer necessary for the believer to think this way. He chooses to think this way. He still has a potential, but he chooses. We're not to think this way, and we, by God's grace, don't have to think this way, but we are the ones that make the choice. You understand? The mind of humility does not happen automatically or by our own natural ability. This takes place by yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit in obedience to the Word of God. Notice the believer is then instructed to think soberly. This stands in sharp contrast first by the contrasting conjunction, but. Then by the phrase, think soberly, which is a wordplay. Do not have an overestimation of yourself, which is not necessary, but rather have a clear, sound, unconceited, and humble view of yourself. Be level-headed. The one imparting to each is gone. This excludes any room of boasting. This places God as sovereign, the head of the church. The particular allotment by God to each person is described as a measure of faith. Underline that. This indicates a particular gift or gifts that he will indicate in chapter 6, in verse 6 to 8. This includes the portion of faith to exercise and be efficient in and by that particular gift or gifts. Now this is not saving faith. For all are allotted the same measure of faith for salvation to believe the gospel. While the measure of faith differs within the calling and the gifts that he's going to deal with. You understand? Now look at four. The request of the Apostle Paul is due to the potential misunderstanding about the members of the body. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Notice there are many members in one body, just as there are in a human body. You have arms, hands, feet, 
ears, everything else. One body comprises, but it's many members. I give you the axiom in geometry, though. The, the whole is equal to some of its part, but no part is greater than the whole. Simple. Now, all of us are interdependent then. We need one another. You may be a part of the body that is never seen. Some of your feet, some of your ears, some of your nose, but some of your pituitary glands. Anybody come up and say, those are some good looking pituitary glands. You don't see them. Now you can live without a hand, without a foot, but not pituitary glands. Lungs, liver. Is that okay with you if, if you're never noticed? There are many members in one body, but not all have the same function. Every person in the body of the church has a distinct part to play in that part of the body. If you're a hand, then grab. If you're a foot, walk. If you're a mouth, talk. If you're near here. The word function means a mode of action to enhance the benefit and the efficiency of the entire body through the measure of faith imparted by God. All of us are interrelated then. We affect one another. We're interdependent. We need one another. We're interrelated. We affect one another. Let me tell you, if I run over my right foot with the lawnmower, the rest of the body is going to suffer. If I have to hobble on one foot, it's going to put a strain on my, right, on my left hip, okay? And that's going to put a tweak on my back. And then my back's going to hurt my neck. And then my neck's going to hurt and my, my head hurt. We're all involved. None of us can say, hey, I don't care. I don't need you. You don't need me. No way. Look at five. The request of the Apostle Paul is due to the potential ignorance about the relationship of the body. So we being many members are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. The application is made directly by Paul from the illustration of, of the church body without distinction. Emphasizing diversity. But not diversity like in the world. Diversity in the world gives everybody the same level and value. No! This hand does not have the same value as a foot. Yet they're all part of the body. They're distinct. They're different. So we are, we being many, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. There's no difference between male or female. There's no difference between Scythian or barbarian. There's no difference between slave or free. And there's no difference between rich or poor. We all have our part in the body. But the parts will differ. In the first century, maybe a guy was a slave and his name was Secundus, meaning number two, slave. And he would come to church and he would be one of the elders while his master was sitting in the chair. That's interesting. Because God has called them and placed them there and anointed them to be there. You understand? Wow. Grace had placed all of them on the same level before God but on different levels for the purpose and the glory of God in the body. Notice the application is made directly by Paul for his illustration to the church body without distinction now emphasizing unity. He says, our one body in Christ. Christ being the head of the body, imparting each person their place in that body and directing and guiding each person to edify the body. The body members submitting to the head Christ, no one else. Seeking the place of the body of the church by the measure of faith that God has imparted. 
not comparing themselves to one another, being envious and jealous, not thinking they do not need one another, or to think that they're better than the other. And notice the qualification is in Christ, not national identity, not cultural identity, not racial identity, not economic identity. Oh, that means nothing in the church of Christ. Notice the application is made directly by Paul from his illustration to the church body without distinction, emphasizing now responsible efficiency and individual members of one another. We are to care for one another. We're to pray for one another. We're to appreciate one another. We're to love one another. We're to rejoice for one another. One another. The believer is to serve by walking in humility before God. In view of all that he's done. This should be our response. Notice thirdly. The believer is to serve by yielding to the gifts of God. Verse 6. The reason the Apostle Paul gives is that not everyone has the same gift. Having the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. The gifts differ from one another, and they are all supernatural gifts, not natural talents or abilities that you learn. There are the gifts of revelation, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. There are the gifts of power, the gift of faith, miracles, healings, plural. There are the gifts of inspiration, prophecy, tongues, interpretation. There are the gifts specifically given for the perfecting of the saints to the church in Ephesians. Apostles, which would be equivalent to missionaries, prophets, preachers, evangelists, pastor, teacher. That's one gift, a hyphenated gift. Because you can be a teacher without being a pastor, but you can't be a pastor without being a teacher. Okay? He's going to deal with the word of teaching here. But Ephesians has pastor, teacher. And there are other miscellaneous gifts. The gift of help, administration, leading, mercy. Ministry, teaching, exhortation, and giving. A total of 21 that we have in the New Testament. It's important that you understand who they are and what they are and how they work. Now, notice the gifts are all according to the grace given to each person now. The use of the word grace here in context is not salvation, but for the gifts and the measure of faith that he imparts to the individual. The apostle was given a measure... For his calling and his gift, the apostle of the Gentiles. He opens up the, the letter that way and he says, mention it in verse 3. This is laid down in great detail by Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians. In chapter 12, verse 4 through 7, there are diversities of gift, different ministries and activities, but the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. God has set members and the gifts. As it pleases him, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, and 18. He's sovereign. As he pleases, he disperses. The gifts of each member differ corresponding to their function. Paul is very clear on that in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Now notice the reason the apostle gives is that everyone is to use their gift or gifts. Listen to him. Let us use them. Duh. He gives gifts, you must use them. Now, he doesn't give gifts because we are so excellent. Your gifts are because God's so good. 
Your gift is not simply to sit. Being taught without ever imparting to others is not a gift. Being present for all things and never serving is disobedience. Being blessed with gifts and bearing them is irresponsible. You see, the believer has at least one gift. There is no exception. That gift or gifts are necessary for the rest of the church body to function properly and effectively. They're to be used to minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. First Peter 4.10. That's where it says you have at least one gift. I don't know what that is. You need to find out what it is. I don't know how many you have, but you've got to seek the Lord on that. And then jump into the trenches. The individual members cannot say, I have no need of you. All the members comprise the body of Christ. There's none insignificant. Paul makes that very clear. 1 Corinthians 12, 15-26. Now notice the reason the apostle gives is that the gifts be effectively manifested. The gift of prophecy is to be exercised in proportion to the faith given by God. Notice, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Prophecy in its primary function is to speak forth the word of God. To be the mouthpiece of God. And this kind of lines up with the Old Testament prophets. They proclaim the words of God. Then secondly, they predict the future things. But the primary definition and function of prophecy is to be the mouthpiece of God. To proclaim God's word. Usually to call people to repentance. Preaching. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says that prophecy edifies, comforts, and exhorts. Notice it says, proportionate to one's faith that which God has imparted to enable the person. So you're not called to do something on your own. There is no competition in need of performance as a Christian. Just exercise your gift according to God's enablement. The gift of ministry is to be used in our ministry next. Notice that. The word ministry is diaconia, the same root and word for deacon. But it, it's not confined to that. Literally, it means a waiter on tables. That's where the word minister comes from. I am not a reverend. I'm a glorified waiter boy. I serve tables. That's what a minister or pastor is. Okay, You're not here to serve me. I'm here to serve you. That's what the Bible teaches. The command is to use it in our ministry notice. Then he says the gift of teaching is to be exercised in teaching. He who teaches in teaching. The gift to teach simply means holding discourse with another in order to instruct them. What I'm doing right now to instruct. The second word teaching is used for word doctrine. You find it throughout the pastoral epistles. First, second Timothy and Titus. This does not mean that a person never has to study again. If they would have told me I was going to spend the rest of my life studying the Word of God, I'd say, you got to be kidding me. And yet God has enabled it. God has done it. You understand? I have nothing to boast about. I remember my first speech class. I had to do an impromptu speech for five minutes. I about died. Now i got to find out what I leave out because it's a different calling, different anointing. You understand? It's by the Spirit of God. In fact, you're a student for the rest of your life if you're called to be a teacher. Now then he says, the gift of exhortation to exhort individuals. He who exhorts on exhortation, the word exhort simply means to come alongside and to appeal a person to action. 
The word exhortation simply is for comfort, consolation, or encouragement. Coming alongside a believer who is discouraged or perhaps timid, and you encourage them to act on the things of God. You might look at it as a little kid. You know, when you've got a son and you're teaching them to jump off the diving board, you know, and they're, they're at the end there, and you know, they just don't do it, and he needs some exhortation. <laughs> Push him in. That's exhortation. Well, you know, I don't know if God wants to use me this night. I've been around here 20 years. Shut up. Get in there. Do it. Some people have an incredible gift of exhortation. The gift of giving with liberality. He who gives with liberality. This is not speaking about the privilege of our giving to God in our tithe. This is a supernatural gift that God imparts to individuals to give beyond the incredible people. I've known people like this. And, and, they're not, and usually it's not people that have a lot of money. By the way, they're just givers. It's amazing to be around them. Notice the gift is to be manifested with liberality. It means simplicity without any attention brought to you for the right motive in obedience to God's leading. But even this, we have to be careful. Even if God will lead you to do something for somebody else, do it in such a way that you don't call attention to yourself or you make the people feel like they owe you something. In fact, if you can do it without them knowing, just mail it or whatever, that's the best way. But if God leads you another way, fine. But don't go up and walk when there's five people talking and say, Brother, the Lord told me to give you these hundred dollars. And you know, not, not, don't, don't, don't thank me. It's God. It's God. <laughs> Shut up. You don't think that happens? Amazing. We're bad news. The gift of leading with diligence. He who leads with diligence. The word lead means to engage, to have charge over, to manage or to rule. And this gives us to be exercised with diligence, meaning earnestness, total commitment, without hesitation, no procrastination. God calls you to lead, step out. You say, well, I don't know if I'm a leader. You want to know you're a leader? Listen, listen. Just turn around. Do people follow you? And you're a leader. The gift of mercy with cheerfulness. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The word mercy, again, identifies those who are in distress, affliction. They need help, pity, and compassion. To give us to be done with cheerfulness. The word hilarious comes from it. We're to do it hilariously. Don't do it like if they owe you or anything else. But you're compassionate. You're there. And, and, and they sense the gratitude. And they go, oh, you don't. No, it's okay. Don't worry. You, you know, you do it. Don't, don't worry about it. You just move on like nothing. Just do it. You don't say, well, you're kind of right. I am kind of a good guy. I don't know. I'm helping you. You don't do that. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are found in those four places that we said. Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. The purpose of the gifts is that there be no schism. So the body is not spastic. It's flowing, it's coordinating. Every believer is capable of obtaining gifts. If you're born again, you can obtain gifts. You have to seek the Lord for those, those that edify the body. All edify the body except tongues, unless it's interpreted. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, again, are not natural abilities. They're not talents. They're supernatural, every one of them. And so the gifts are profitable for the body. And this is what he's laying out. The believer is to serve by yielding to the gifts of God. Paul has presented his plea to the believer to live out their Christianity in view of all God has done. The believer is to serve by dedicating his life to God. The believer is to serve by walking in humility before God. And the believer is to serve according to the gifts of God. 
simple. It really, really is. We make it difficult. We make it complicated. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of having the heart of a servant. Simple truths he draws from Romans chapter 12. And if you'd like a copy of today's study to dig deeper into its teaching, or perhaps pass on to a friend, it's titled, The Believer's Call to Serve. You can request a CD for just $4. And this will include everything we heard the last time we were together as well. Once again, the title to ask for is, The Believer's Call to Serve. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 